I just haven't met anybody that's met any level of success on any front that hasn't worked unreasonably hard. I just haven't seen it. That is Scott O'Neill, Legends, and you are listening to the EpiTable Podcast. Welcome back, my awesome team. Uh, another exciting week with an epic guest. Uh, before we get into today's show, I want to say a big thank you to all the support uh, I received after going to Denver and you know showing you guys the story of how our chorizo and bolognese from Charlie Street is now at a co-packer level. Um, you know, one of the best things about this podcast is I get to meet amazing people and I've always said this selfishly get uh, them on the podcast to learn about things so whether it be in retail brand marketing nutrition science uh, I don't know it's just um, a lot of things coming together a lot of hard work but a lot of things coming together but just want to say a lot of you have continued to support me uh, and I just want to say first off the bat thank you very much if you didn't know it is prime day so if you want to take advantage of some awesome amazon deals specifically the chorizo and bolognese from charlie street you can head to amazon type in charlie street chorizo charlie street bolognese and you will have it there because this is not for plant-based legends this is for people who want to eat more plants so if you're looking to do so in a tasty way with real ingredients that cooks in seconds made by yours truly along with my awesome team you can get it an awesome deal right now looking forward to seeing you guys and if you do pick it up from amazon i will say if you can leave a review it really does help us uh you know continue to grow the business in impacting people particularly in this world in a sustainable environment as well Another piece of excitement, team, is the Epic News newsletter is growing. If you head to danchoto.com and want to get this weekly newsletter, which will include weekly nutritional updates, along with what's going on in the world in performance, and then what we call a little section is what's sizzling, we also answer all your FAQs. So all the ones that have been coming through to me through DMs or forms of social asks, we answer them in that newsletter. We also release exclusive recipes on that newsletter. And if you sign up by going to danchoto.com, you have the pop-up banner i'll send you a free ebook as well which includes 20 exclusive free recipes so go to danchurch.com it's all free and you can sign up to my newsletter today so team this week's guest scott o'neill i absolutely admire i've uh, i've had the pleasure of meeting scott a couple of years ago at a 76ers game because scott is now the former ceo of the 76ers the philadelphia 76ers and the new jersey devils in the nhl so that in itself is pretty remarkable to be the ceo of two companies so running that that is incredible but scott is also an author an author of a book that i recommend to anybody it is called Be Where Your Feet Are. And I know you all are going to get tremendous benefit out of today's episode. Because I think for me personally, sometimes you can get to that point where you've got so much going on. If you just concentrate on one task at the time of what you are doing, it adds tremendous value. Now, it doesn't have to be a task in general. It can be just being with someone. It can be being with yourself, your friends, or just focusing on whatever it is. And there's some amazing, amazing key takeaways from this book. I actually use it as a reference to my team. And Scott is just an absolutely inspiring individual. He's like to have someone like himself who is so charismatic, awesome, but still get an amazing um, humility about him is incredible. Some key takeaways from today, we're going to talk about what uh, what he says is WMI, what is most important. We also talk about API, assume positive intent. 
and we even just refer to in general how you can balance your life one of the biggest things that we're all doing as we get you know into that stage of busy life and having partners and relationships is how to balance that out i know entrepreneurials um in this community are constantly balancing that out as well so there's some huge key takeaways being someone in the sport landscape i think it's crazily exciting um, but he uses amazing references from his time uh, in, in that space to really set the tone and the path for us all to get some key takeaways as I said he's an inspiring man and if you're not make sure you hit him uh, follow him up on in, on LinkedIn because um, he's got an amazing following but he's just He's just someone that you guys will see continue to soar now that he's uh, now that he's continuing to grow his even personal brand. So, um, as I said, pick up the book, Be Where Your Feet Are. You will not be disappointed. And Scott O'Neill, my man, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Epic Table Podcast. Scott O'Neill, my man, we've made this happen. Author of Be Where Your Feet Are. Welcome to the Epic Table Podcast. Well, as you know, I've told you personally, but um, love what you're doing, love the impact you're making. And I love talking to the modern day Renaissance man like you are. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I, when, I, when, I, when I looked you up, it, it, was, too many, it was too much, you know? <laughs> yes, author, entrepreneur. No, does it ever does it ever stop? I don't know how you get it all in, but it's uh, it's wonderful to be on your podcast. Uh, I love your work. I love your vision and mission to bring healthy products to the world and help us uh, be healthier. But but more importantly, you're helping us all understand how important it is to understand our brands, to be able to articulate them, and then live through them. And it matters. Scott, my legend, that uh, that means a lot, especially considering how I had to. Um summate your intro into an author despite the fact you've held multiple big time roles including you know ceo of two companies at one time so which we'll discuss in a second but man that means that means a lot you know uh Milena and i are massive fans of you um and uh i, I know a lot of people i've actually given my book to or given your book to rather and they've already known you but didn't realize how exceptional you are as an individual so uh mate that generally means a lot but as as everyone can tell you're a person who really likes to shine light on other people. So I'm going to play the role of the role reversal in this situation. I'm going to shine the light on you today. So I know for people like yourself, it'll probably be a little bit uncomfortable, but get ready, mate. I'm going to make this as super comfortable as possible. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I think what I love about, uh, you know, you as an individual is there's, 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 it's rare to have someone where individuals like myself can le- uh, you know, read, listen, learn from you more than about, you know, two or three key things. There's multiple things that you've done and you incorporate um, through your life, with your family, with your upbringing, through the way that you are a leader and you own your mistakes, uh, you create principles based on them. And so before we get to all of that, though, I'm really excited to learn how the hell you got the confidence to run two major sporting organizations at the same time. Because I'm thinking, <laughs> dude, to me, I'm running a couple of companies right now and they're on a very small scale. So I, I, I'm going to treat this to, as you, you attest to, your competitive edge. Could be the way you're brought up with your family, whatever it is, man, but Sports always been a part of your family, your competitive edge. I'm interested to know, did you really from the start go, I can do multiple things at once? 
because I think a lot of people that I talk to are, are very much yes people. They're yes, yes, yes. And you are a person who says you got to know where you say no. But like, where, how did that even come to an, an honest belief that you could do that? Well, boy, that's a complicated question and, and hope <laughs> I can articulate an answer that would make sense. But I, I will tell you that um, growing up as a, in a small or large Irish Catholic um, and Italian family, we um, to uh, the son of two PhDs who are leadership development trainers. <laughs> so you got uh, it was it was a it was a laboratory for my folks. I think um, you know I've got um, three brothers and a sister. They've all run companies. They've all been extraordinary different avenues and ways of life, and and not without failures and trials and tribulations and missteps, of course. Um, but I, um, I, you know, we all, the five of us, I believe this is true, have been the captain of every sports team we've ever played on. Wow. So you think about like, some, some, you know, are you born? Are you, is it nurtured? I have no idea. But I can tell you that we grew up, um, we grew up being fostered as leaders. Um, and, um, and, and, and it was never, we never heard the word leader. It was never ushered in our house. But, but certainly the characteristics and values were reinforced quite a bit. And I will tell you, my dad was a very complicated man and, and um, unfortunately passed away several years ago. And the, and the end wasn't pretty. Um, Health-wise, uh, and actually in any aspect of his life, he had fallen apart by the time I'd hit 30, sadly. Um, but but at, his, at, at his peak, um, he was a remarkable, remarkable man in so many different ways. And I can tell you the one thing he said to me countless times and i struggled as a young kid i had a lot of energy um and i didn't know how to to use that energy i didn't know how to um you know i'd play a game monopoly and i'd be losing i flipped the board over you know mm. i had uh, a few too many scraps as a young kid um on and off the the pitch and court and i will tell you that um that they didn't really know what to do with me. But in all my struggles, I will tell you, my father used to say the same thing to me over and over and over and over again. And it was like, he used to say things like, you are remarkable. You have no idea the impact that you can have on this world. He, he would say, you can do anything you choose. He would say, the only one who will put a ceiling on what you can achieve in this world is you. He would say all over and over and over again. And I think if you hear that enough as a kid, even as a, as a teenager in, in middle school, when, you, when you're trying to figure out who you are and you're insecure and you're struggling with how you look and how to interact and making friends and all that stuff, um, to be able to have that, that um, I don't know, that repeated confidence, you know, that, you know, it's going to be okay, you're okay, and you can do extraordinary things if you can channel your energy the right way. And so I, th I think my, my mom and dad had, a, had quite a big impact on me, as did my brothers and sister, who are still my best, best friends in the world today and quite a support system. Um, so I, but, but, you know, as you, as you grow up, you know, when you're young, when I was young, I was really ambitious. And, you know, as I'm old, I'm 52 years old now. So, um, you know, I, I didn't even understand the negative connotation around ambition when I was young in my career. Um, but as you get older, you, you, you realize that, that the reason there's a negative connotation is because it's, it's not because it's bad. It's because you have high aspirations. It's just that life and the decisions you make are about trade-offs. And so, and I was, 
I was going for it. You know, I, you know, at 22 years old, I remember I met John Spolstra, whose son, interestingly enough, uh, is about my age as the head coach of the Miami Heat. But John was an extraordinary executive, was the president of the Portland Trailblazers, and then became on the, as the president of the New Jersey Nets. And, and again, he just, with young people, he wrapped our, his arms around us and inspired us and empowered us. And took, there were five of us that he used to take out to dinner once a month. I was 22 years old going to dinner with the president of an, an NBA team. And he used to ask questions, have a stream, talk about our careers. I mean, what in? I got, I actually got promoted fixing a copy machine on a Saturday by the guy. <laughs> I mean, you think about like this was a, a, a man, again, very inspiring, who, who didn't treat the kid like a kid, you know? Um, and he stoked the fire. And so he saw ambition and a will to work and, and put it to work. And so I had so many people along the way. Um, and then I studied some of the great and interesting stories. Um, one of my favorites was Stan Caston, who was, um, I believe he was president when he was 28 years old of the Atlanta Braves and then ended up being the president of the Braves, the Hawks and the Thrashers, which uh, then moved to Winnipeg. But he was president of, th of three teams and started when he was 28 years old. And uh, Susan O'Malley, uh, both of them are friends. Susan was president when she was 29 of the Capitals and ended up taking over the Wizards as well. And so you had had these two, and they were they're about I think about a decade older than I am, but but I saw it, you know, I saw hey you can you can achieve extraordinary things at a young age, um, and while I didn't I didn't get there as quickly as they did for sure, um, but I I definitely you know I think well let's put it this way I, I was speaking to this this group in Camden New Jersey which is a small town outside of Philadelphia that's. Um, that we built our training facility in with the 76ers. And it's a, it's a town that's been down on its luck for several years. And I was speaking to a youth group there. We, we put on this uh, basketball camp for kids. It was so awesome. Um, and kids that wouldn't otherwise have a chance to get to a camp and they'd walk away with a basketball, a new pair of sneakers, jersey, et cetera. It was kind of really fun. Um, but, but for me, the most fun part was I, I got to address the group. And I remember um, talking to this group. It was about 500 kids. And, and I, I truly believe that that to get out of a situation that you're in that's not as desirable as you want as a kid, you need a few things. And, and one is to, to work unreasonably hard. Um, and two is to leverage the education system that we have in America. And three is to have a vision for something greater. Um, and, and what's hard when you're young is you only know what you know. You know, that's why so many uh, young kids in tough areas, they grow up and they you know, say, well, I want to be a teacher, the successful ones, which is great. We need we need great teachers or I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman because that's the only thing they know because um, that's what they've seen. Um, and so so I think having a dream, having a vision for something better and bigger is important. And I, like I said, as, as I um, tried to articulate with my earlier story, you know, as 22 years old, I'm looking up and I'm saying like, OK. I see it. You can run multiple. You can run a team. First off, you can run multiple teams. You can be young and be successful. And then the question is just how are you going to get there? That's a, like, honestly, man, it's, it sounds like you had, firstly, you were surrounded by a great support network, which probably inspired within you the self-belief to achieve. And then on top of that, you had people that you were, you saw it was possible. We, you know, we hear about, I, I think to correlate your story uh, a little bit, it's like the four-minute mile, you know. It took so many times for people to think that this thing was impossible. The four-minute mile was so hard to break. 
And as soon as, I think it was John Landy, wasn't it? Or, uh, as soon as he broke it, it was all of a sudden a mental component that it became, it, it got broken more times in the next you know year than ever previously thought was possible. And so there comes this parallel between envisioning and seeing and belief, but also seeing it's actually been done. It's like breaking this thought process to be successful, whatever that means to everybody, by sub 30 as an age bracket. Um, it's almost like it is hugely mental uh, despite the, the skill sets we all learn. And like you went and did it, you went back to, I think you went to Harvard Business School obviously afterwards and you did all this other stuff. But like even before that, you were like, you had this self-belief, which is uh, unbelievably important. And so to kind of tap onto that, you, you, you did touch on how sometimes that aspiration can get in the way. And how you, it does become a bit of a trade-off. I'm, I'm interested to kind of double-click on that a bit. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, to be, I, I've never met, and I, I think you're, 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 you, you made some point earlier. I just, I want, I don't want to let pass. Is you, you said success depends on how you, how you, you define it. I totally agree with that because, um, you, you can be extremely successful in one part of your life and be failing miserable and all. And, and, and that's not for anyone to judge except yourself. You have to understand what the scope of it looks like. What does the relationship with your partner look like? Mm-hmm. What does the relationship with your children, if you have them, look like? What does the family environment look like? What does your, your work environment look like? How about your friends? How about the community? What impact do you make? All these things, you know, however you define success. Um, and we can put different, different weights or different scales on different, different things. And I, I believe that they evolve over time depending on where you are in life and where you are in, in your relationships and your career. But, but you should do that very intentionally. Um, and I think that that is something that I would stress with just about everybody. In terms of trade-offs, I just haven't met anybody that's met any level of success on any front that hasn't worked unreasonably hard. I just haven't seen it. And I, I hope it's out there. Um, you know, and, and the easiest thing to understand is just commercial success, like how much, you know, how much financially or how much money you're making or how quickly you're moving up the ladder um, or how big you're building your business. It's like it's not happening by accident. Like you launching products in the U.S., wouldn't it be great if it just happened? You get to sit back, head to the beach, take the weekends off, work nine to five, maybe get a workout in the middle of the day. Like I haven't seen it. And so what, what, what are you trading off? You know, in, in many cases for me, I was trading off friends. And it, it's, it's not like, you know, woe is me, I have no friends. I have a lot of friends. I just didn't see them very much. You know, I've, I've spent the, the last year in a kind of non-compete garden leave hiatus, which has been pretty incredible opportunity to reconnect with, you know, my wife, my kids, my friends, the community, you know, do some service, do some incredible stuff. All that stuff I was trading off. You know, and, 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 you know, once you step back and understand what you're trading off, um, I, I think it helps you really truly understand your WMI or your what's most important. And then you can, and then you, you learn the magic word that we talked about before, which is no, you know, I, I, I love, I'm a people pleaser. I love to say yes. I just, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've come to understand that if you don't say no, you're not going to spend enough time on the stuff that's critically important to you. And that's, yeah, mate, the, I think the common thing that we always say, even day to day, it's like the, 
I love, I love, by the way, WMI, we're going to get on that. But the, the idea to say no is a powerful thing. And we've mentioned this and people have heard it thousands of times. You learn more from what you say no to than what you say yes to. And I, I'm firsthand. I'm, hey, I'm putting my hand up. I am guilty of this myself. I see an opportunity. I want to take advantage of it because I definitely see the impact I believe I can have with that opportunity on people. That's honestly like, that's what it is. And I think it's important for me to sometimes, and I don't want to make this about me, but I'm using myself as an example to my audience. Is like it's important for us to register what really is um, part of our core values and what leads to, as you said earlier, WMI. What is most important? Um, so, do you want to tap onto WMI, May? I know you mentioned this in your awesome book. So, do you want to shed a bit of light on WMI and how you help people come to that realization? Yes. So. You know, I, I think the way I, you know, I, I had this great executive coach, Brendan Burchard, and and um, and I worked with him at a time in my life. I've worked with executive coaches my my whole career. Um, my mom was a coach. My older brother was a coach. My dad was a coach. So, um, and I never thought I'd use a coach. Never. It's just a therapist. I mean, it's a therapist in another word. You know, another word for therapist. Sounds cool though. Sounds really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds boss. <laughs> it does, right? So, um, so Brendan is a is a is a world renowned guy. I mean, I, I um, was fortunate enough to be connected with him and work with him at a time when I just I I needed a, a reset. And he said to me, um, he was like pressing me. Like it's like not the first time he's worked with someone. So he says, you know, some leading question like, "Do you think you're a high performer?" And that's such an awkward question to ask because you 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 I consider myself a high performer, but I don't want to be saying, walking around and waving a flag, you know? And so I kind of sheepishly answered, well, you know, he said, well, I I can tell you this, you know, high performers spend 65% or more of their time on the three things that matter most at work. How are you doing? And I was like, I think I'm doing great. (laughs) And he's like, well, why don't you do an audit? I was like, sure, no problem. So he has, goes to this exercise and I write down the three things that, that are most important and then I go to my calendar and I start mapping, you know, trying to map my meetings against what's most important, you know, and I came back the next week and he said, so how, how'd the audit go? And I said, 23%. <laughs> so, so he, uh, he had a nice little chuckle at my behalf on my, <clears throat> at, um, at my expense. And, and I said, I, I understand. And he said, you understand what? I said, I understand what's most important. And I understand I have to start saying no to stuff that isn't. And, and I, I've since expanded that to, to relationships and also um, myself, you know, kind of like what, what is, you know, we talked about, um, we've talked about before the importance of mind, body, soul. And so I know if I do something for my mind, something for my body, something for my soul every day, I'm better. Okay. I, I can, I, I, that build, helps build my foundation. It doesn't, it's not a panacea. It doesn't take the world's problems away, but for me, I'm stronger. My head is clear and I'm, I'm more connected. Um, and so I, I know I have to do those three things. The relationship seemed to move other than the one with my wife, Lisa, because if that relationship is sideways, my whole world is sideways. So that one is pretty much fixed in my calendar. And then the other two, you know, it could be a, could be a boss. It could be a board. It could be a, a friend in need. It could be a, somebody from church. It could be a young kid that needs help. It could be one of my daughters. You know, those, those relationships kind of switch. And then the three things that are most important at work, everyone knows what they are. You just have to write them down and then audit yourself. And then, because then you can give an honest assessment. And then when your friend calls you and says, hey, um, you know, my daughter's at, at um, UMass and she's a sports marketing major. She's a freshman. Could she, t- could she talk to you just for an hour? 
and you say no. And the guy's like, yo, um, we've been friends for 20 years. I was like, no, I'll, I'll get it to somebody. Um, do you have the discipline to say no to something like that? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the hard part, right? Because it's not it's not that it's not you shouldn't serve others. It's not that, you know, but can you make it 15 minutes? Can you pass it to a VP who actually will hire her? Can you offer her to, you know, your head of operations to maybe offer an interest? Like, are there other ways that you can free up your time by saying no or shrinking the time that you're spending on the stuff that's not most important so that you can be more effective and be more efficient and and be able to spend time on things that are more critically important? So this is a great, I I love this area right here because I feel – I feel a lot of people, particularly in that like you know that twenty five to I don't want to age on it, but in that bracket where you're starting to get some headway in your career, and you may be with other friends or you may be with a special someone, and you really have to start making sacrifices in order to continue a career, but at the same time you 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 truly care about this individual or this group of friends, and it's a it's the common dilemma. It's like it's to some degree, do you want to how do you feel? make that person, in your opinion, feel priority when in reality the time you spend with them is minimal compared to how much you could once you reach the success or once you reach that point you want to achieve? Um, well, I, well, I think the big, the big thing there is, you know, I, you know it's, a, it's the name of my book, Be Where Your Feet Are. Mm. And so it's, it's, it's really, it cannot for extraordinary people or driven people or people who want to do amazing things or, or those who have big aspirations or big eyes to accomplish, the reality is, is you have to spend much more time on quality than quantity. And I had a good friend say to me recently, I was giving him a hard time about something he said. And, you know, he said, you know, I think it's better if I spend 20 minutes with my daughter wholly focused than two hours with my phone in my hand. And I said, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not even close. And so you go to, you go to dinner with four buddies and look what happens. They're all on their phones. You're like, guys, what are we doing? Why? Why are we here? <laughs> like, leave your phones in the car. Tuck them in your pockets. Unless you're taking a photo, let's, let's talk. Let's bring back connectivity. I mean, I, I will say that be where your feet are. Like when you're at work, be at work. When you're on this podcast, be on this podcast with me. Don't be floating. Don't worry about the three other meetings you have coming up, the deal you're about to do. The call you're going to get, also as long as you're, if this is not a good use of time, change, move on. But I, I think that's where we have to. I mean, I, I will say we need more connectivity. We need more human connection. We need more empathy, um, and we have to be where our feet are. So that uh, I think that statement when you when I read that, obviously you read the title of the book, but as you first start to you know repeat that statement throughout the book itself you really start to think about the things that you've done and you're like oh i could have done that so much better like am i am i whether it be in a state of doing an activity or even if i'm even if i am reading a book am i reading a book intently for reading the book solely am i getting distracted or you know am i with my friends and giving them the actual time of day that i want to give them to get back from them and, and vice versa it's like I, I, I recalled that moment and I'm like, oh, my. So like I, I think for me, and this is something Melinda and I have been, you know, she, she constantly references like just being present where you are and doing what 
you're focused on at the time instead of trying to, you know, do too much. Um, so that was a huge takeaway from from the book itself and it's the title. <laughs> so, like, I'm the book. I have to I have to repeat because I don't want you to think that I'm I'm world class expert. I'm an aspirational expert. Like I know, you know, when I'm my best self, that's where I am and that's who I am. And mm-hmm. so I this I was coming home. We, you know, we were going through this process when I was the president of Madison Square Garden with the Knicks. The same thing we did in Philadelphia, where you know you you lose a lot to get a higher draft pick, and then you and you get better players and start to win. And, um, and we, we, we were in a, a pretty nasty streak and had been blown off the court and booed off the court. And I came home stomping around. And I remember Lisa saying, like, coming down, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? Did you see the game? She said, yeah, I saw the game. I said, did you hear the boos? She's like, Scott, I didn't even have to have the TV on to hear the boos. Everybody could hear them. And I was like, well, and she's like, well, what? And she says, well, this isn't going to work. And she kind of like points at me. I was like, what? And I always debate right off the bat. I, I can't take, you know, I love to debate. I love aggressive feedback, but it definitely takes me a little bit. So I was mixing it up with her and she usually wins those in the end. And she said, <laughs> this is not going to work. It's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for this family. How many games are you going to win this year? And I was like, not many. She's like, how many games are you going to lose this year? I said, quite a bit. <laughs> and she said, well, what what is your plan? And I said, I don't know. I need to think about it. And so, you know, she went to bed. And I stomped around a little bit more and then went for a little walk and came back and she's like, she's right. And I, I called a dear friend of mine. And he said, Scott, you need to get a worry tree. And I said, a what? He said, I have a worry tree. <laughs> so I, I come home. I'm all stressed. He's a, a banker. I put my hand in that tree. My worries roll right up the tree. I was like, hey, my man, I don't have a tree like that on my property. He said, no, it's not the point. The point is, is you need to use transitions in your life so that when you walk in your house, you can be, you can be there and be present, be where your feet are. And, um, and so I began to use the drive home to do that. Um, and, uh, and I use it differently. You know, I can, I, I meditate, I pray, I sing, I howl at the moon. I call a friend, I scream, I listen to the radio. I mean, anything for me to kind of decompress. So by the time I walk in and sometimes by the way, it's just banging on, um, banging on a lot or parking, 20 feet away from your driveway and getting through 15 emails or 20 texts so that when you walk in, you're with them. But you need to be present when you're home for sure. Yeah. It's a, I think like I love home being home, <laughs> but even yeah. sometimes it's like, I don't know, you're dealing with some certain things. You're like, Oh, I should just probably take care of this. But I think all of us it have faced that challenge, be, right? It doesn't have to be the whole, like, if I, I was with a, a, a good friend of mine, I, I was talking to her about this issue. She's having the same, same challenge. And I said, what if it were just, just an hour? Can you, can you give an hour a night? Mm. She's like, well, that's ridiculous. And I said, but can you? So, well, of course I can. I said, but what if you did that? What if, if you spent an hour, one hour from seven to eight, when you ate dinner or after dinner, you were with the family and you were just with them. And I will tell you, like, it's transformational. It's like now you sit with a family and it's like, kids got laptop, phone, and iPad up at the same time, playing a video game, watching another show, watching a suit, and carrying on a conversation and playing a board game. It's impossible. Mm. And so for an hour, can we spend time together? Like carve out a time that you think is meaningful and reasonable with Melena at home. Just say, okay, we're going to do it seven to eight tonight. It's just going to be the two of you. 
Can you be my executive coach? This is great. This is this is awesome. Yeah. This is, this is awesome. I feel like I, Scotty, I don't know if I told you this, but dude, like everyone's like, oh, you get you get some really awesome podcasts on your show. I'm like, yeah, I'm just being selfish. I want uh, this is me learning. This is this is this is what's most important to me. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, man, this is uh like I yeah, take huge, huge takeaways. Is like, how often do we actually just commit to something like that? Like an hour, it doesn't. An hour can be the difference between true happiness for all parties involved and even for yourself when you realize giving a hundred percent for an hour whatever it is but giving that a hundred percent it's like you're committing and you are even for yourself putting that time in for what is really really important and then outside of that hey go back to getting taking care of business um been saying that it's like it, it's it's a it's probably more of a habitual thing as well it's like getting used to the idea it's like you know what no this is the time that no one else can invade the things that i you know, regard as most important um and then you know it's a it's a signal to yourself it's a signal to that person that is most important so oh that's huge that's massive i'm actually curious to know this is probably gonna be a really tough one um just to, it, it is going back a bit just want to know what is probably something that one of the proudest things you have said no to because i can imagine there's been quite a number and then we'll get on with the the next roll of questions the most proud thing I've said no to. You know, I don't I have nothing off the top of my head. I can tell you that this last year, have you ever seen that movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey? <laughs> yeah, dude. That's okay. a great movie. Anyway, he gets cursed and he has to say yes to everything. Yeah. And and this last year, you know, being in Garden Leave, I've said yes to so many things that I normally would not. Mm-hmm. You know? Um my daughter wanted to go to Mozambique and build a school. I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. I would have never done that for three weeks. <laughs> never. I coached high school girls basketball, varsity team, high school. That's awesome. Four months, six days a week with a, with a, with a, a bunch of teenage girls. That's awesome. I would have never done that. Never. Um, and so, so my experience um, – I would say probably the, the latest thing I've, you know, I've, I've joined, I've invested in some companies, I've joined some boards of some early stage companies. And I, that's probably the latest thing I've said no to is, is um, another, uh, a friend of mine started a business where I, I absolutely adore him. I think his business is going to absolutely explode and I just don't have the bandwidth. So I said, no, that was last week. Um, that's how the one I can take. How'd the, uh, how'd the school, how the, how the basketball team do, mate? I don't want to be the guy to pat myself on the back, but we do win the state championship. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do. I think it was like a competitive part. You, to, to, a, a friend of mine came to a practice and then a game. A dear friend's known me forever. And he's watching me and he said, I just, you know, you're too much over there. I said, I will, I will say that I've been around, you know, I've coached my girls in just rec league, you know, one practice and one game a week kind of. And, um, and I, I think that the principles of leadership and a lot of stuff you talk about um, are applicable in, in youth sports. And I was testing everything. <laughs> it was so fun. I mean, growing leaders and challenging them to different things. But my most inspiring moment, I had nothing to do with, which was kind of cool. Um, the, uh, my assistant coach was a, was a, is the lacrosse coach and field hockey coach. Didn't, didn't know much basketball, but was an expert. Still plays on the senior national field hockey team for the U.S. So she's an extraordinary athlete um, in the master's division. And she, she was 
you know, we had this locker room, which of course I never went in because it was a girl's locker room and, you know, there's stuff I don't want to see, there's stuff they don't want to see. And like, you know, so at, at halftime we'd go in the AD's office and they would go into the locker room before practice and after practice. And, um, and she said, Hey, I saw this on the board. I just wanted to take a picture of it before I washed it down for our, our, our lacrosse season. And it was a, a big whiteboard in the locker room that I'm sure the other coaches use, the, the female coaches use for their teams. And it had goals written on them, which I never talked about with them. Okay. It said goals, you know, uh, make it to the final four of this tournament, win this tournament, win the state championship, make it to the, they call it the big house of this, this uh, late, uh, public school. Cause we were a prep school against the public schools. Um, and, um, and then it had quotes stuff that I'd said during practice. I, I tend to repeat myself because I believe that, you know, repetition drives, um, action. And so several things I said were written on the board. And then I, I, every day, at least I'd send them one kind of motivational quote or interesting video. And they had several of them printed out and, and taped on the board. And you, you know, it's small, it's little, it's a little prep school in the scope of life. It's completely irrelevant, but not to them. You know, for some of them, it's the last time they'll ever play basketball again. And so it was, uh, it was cool. It was a, it was a, a really, really challenging uh, and fun, probably the most fun thing I've ever done. Um, but, awesome. but yeah, we had some success on the court too. That's awesome. Um, uh, how, how many times did you get you know, Tobias Harris and Joel and B down there just to help coach you, man? Did you get them involved? Or? Yeah, no, no. I took them to game. I took them to see some, some women's teams too. I, again, I have this, you know, I'm a, I'm a girl power dad. I've got three daughters. So um, I have, I've, you know, somewhat, um, you know, I have always have an interest in women, female executives and, and extraordinary female athletes, uh, because I want other women to be able to look up and see them yeah. because they want to be them. Same thing we talked about before. I remember I had this one gal, she's an extraordinary seller. And, um, and she said to her manager, she was young. She said, I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to, I think I'm going to open a, a yoga studio. Um, I just don't see anybody here that looks like, you know, what I want to be. And so the manager came to me and said, hey, our number one sales rep is going to with the bounce. And I said, say what? So I wanted to go down and talk to her because you know how hard it is to find extraordinary salespeople. Mm. And I said, hey, you know, I just got here. You got to give me a chance. Like I'm three months in. And I said, everywhere I've been, I've had, you know, extraordinary women up top and they'll, they'll be here. And sure enough, you know, fast forward eight years later when I walked out the door, we had 18 women who were SVPs or higher. So <laughs> – um, so, so she, she, she stayed by the way, and she became one of those executives, uh, but, I, but I will tell you, like, I, I do, I do love youth sports. I do love the lessons you can learn from sports. I love the, because you learn how to be a teammate. You learn how to win. You learn how to lose. You learn how to lead. You learn how to follow. You learn how to sweat and sacrifice for others. All of those things translate to business. They all do. They all translate to relationships. They all translate to raising a family. They all translate to running a business. And so I, I just would encourage everyone, um, you know, if they have and if if they have or when they have children to make sure that you're nurturing a team sport. You really do learn so much about leadership doing such a thing. Like you learn different behavioral types, um, great ways to – alternative ways to teach or educate based on individuals you know, how to, how to plan, how to prep, how to plan outcomes, um, rewards, like the whole, the whole, it is actually really interesting when you do it at a, at a child level to then take it into business or even just general life. It makes you really have a greater perspective on 
how we all value things differently and the best way to get the best out of us all. Um, so yeah, I can only attest to that, mate. That's, um, yeah, I wish, uh, I, w- I wish, I wish you, you know, could come to New York and prep or coach our pickup basketball teammate. We may, uh, we may also win the the local league better. Like we got, we had a bunch of Australians. We call the Air Dinkums because in Australia we say Fair Dinkum. Uh, oh. So we'll just say Air Dinkum. Yeah, uh, I didn't come up with a name, but it's a, it is a good one. Um, oh, yeah, it's good, mate. Massive actually sidebar. Quick little story here. I was uh, sitting at um, our restaurant, Charlie Street, last week, um, and. I heard this jumping. I was sitting at the back table and there's a jumping and this thump. I look over and Matisse Thibel is just jumping to touch the ceiling. And I go, mate, what are you doing? <laughs> he's there going, mate, you reckon this thing's 12 foot? I'm like, I don't know, mate. You're How tall are you? <laughs> just like, these guys can jump so ridiculously high, man. He, you know, people like this, like he is a, just a good ball of positive energy. Mm-hmm. He has a he has this infectious smile, this incredible way. He's got this incredible um, kind of karmic force that follows him into every room he's in. He is a he is a star of a human yeah. being. He's also yeah a great ambassador of Australians as well. So yeah, uh, you know, like I think is watching him play and amongst such a great team and people around him is he holds himself what seems to be so well and very down to earth. It's got like yeah. a, you know, it's very down to earth dude. Um, but mate, the, uh, we t- started to talk about teams and individuals and, and, and behavior types. And there's one particular um, scenario you bring up quite a lot and you reference in your book. And I think this is a really good exercise for individuals to kind of really highlight with their teams. I did it with my team and they all answered differently, which is really, really interesting. What does it mean to be the purple water buffalo? Sure. So um, if, if, uh, if you're listening and, and you have a few minutes, there's a, uh, a YouTube video called The Battle of Kruger Park. Uh, I was fortunate enough to visit it. It's, um, it's in South Africa this past summer. And um, so the video, I'll, I'll, I'll speed through it, but effectively it's a big watering hole and this herd of water buffaloes is cruising by. And, and this tourist is, is narrating the thing like you might narrate a, a sporting event. And there are five lions crouching and, and then they attack. And of course they attack the smallest buffalo and tackle it into this watering hole. And they can't really get leverage. So they start to tug this water buffalo out of the water. Um, and just as they get him on land, a big croc comes and snaps on the leg and they play tug of war. And then the lions finally lift it up on the land. And the tourist is like, the lions have won, the lions have won. And um, it's, it's kind of gruesome. And so this baby's just kind of lying on her side and they're settling in for a snack. And then the, the tourist pans back the camera, and here come the, the buffalo. And, um, and they, one by one, they're, they're anxious. You can see them. Like, nobody really wants to do it. But together, it's such a herd. It's 300 herd. And, and then they chase the, the lions away. And miraculously, the baby gets up and rolls with the herd. And I'd used that on my first day at Madison Square Garden because it, it was a place that, that you know, every, every turnaround or every organization has, has one thing or two things that you want to drive as a, as a leader. And in that, it was, you know, I wanted people to be extraordinary teammates. And, um, and so I, you know, I put up a slide and I just said, like, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a tourist who just sits and watch, you know, make, watches things happen? Do you want to be a lion who attacks the weak? Do you want to be a croc who kicks them when they're down? Or do you want to be a purple water buffalo? And I said, look, if you're not, I don't want to make you anything you're not. You don't have to be a buffalo. You just can't work here. 
And, and so that, that then became a symbol of, of teamwork. And I, I like symbols and I like, you know, I, I, I think as a leader, we need things to help us. And so we got, you know, Buffalo nickels. And so if somebody did something, um, acted as a, a great teammate, you could just take the nickel I mean, and just tape it on a card and hand it to the person. Then you'd, you'd repeat it and I'd put it up by my wall. It became like wallpaper throughout the office because it was reinforcement of everything we wanted to be. Like, what does it look like to catch somebody before they fall? Like, that's the kind of teammates that matter. And, and by the way, I think those are the people, they're, they're not the people out of the gates who are the most successful, but over the course of the career, they're the most successful. I just think it's like a great representation of, you know, almost like a team mentality. Uh, you know, you're all in, everyone's all in, you know, and I, I, I love it for that reason as well. It's like, are you going to be the first? Are you going to be the person who's the, I, I, like, you know, are you going to be the crocodile who jumps in when, you know, they need to? And or are you going to be part of the herd that's like, hey, we're going to take over, get our, get our family member back and roll, roll through together. And it's more I, fun. I, it's more fun to be on a team. Like a winning so much team, there's nothing like it. You so know, I have this, this theory. I've, been, I've, been, I've talked to a couple of youth groups about it. I'm going to test it on you. It's yeah. just like this notion of abundance versus scarcity. And if you have this abundance philosophy, it just means that everybody can win. And if you have a scarcity philosophy, if something good happens to you, I'm disappointed because it didn't happen to me. And the world is better and easier with this abundance philosophy. Have you ever had a friend where like something good happens to somebody else and they're like, oh, great, him again, her? Oh, of course she gets it. Of course she gets the promotion. I suppose to, hey, great for you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think the world would be better and there's plenty to go around. There's plenty of success. There are plenty of friendships. There are plenty of, of financial means. There are plenty of promotions. There are plenty of companies to start. There are plenty of companies to run. It's going to happen. You know, but I think if we have that philosophy of just, just that abundance philosophy, like what's good for, for, for your friends is good for you. I think life is easier. Yeah, that brings up a good point about you know, individual sports in general, mate, because I think a lot of people believe that you know, maybe maybe this was the case you know decades ago, but individual sports now, particularly the you know, more, I guess more lucrative ones, they involve teams. So you may see the athlete, but behind them, they've okay. got a huge support network. And so I think it's great because obviously it helps the athlete get coached into a position of success, helps them improve their, you know, maybe weaker skills, helps them strategize. But I think, you know, personally from experiencing it at, you know, Olympics and world championships and and alike, I think one of the biggest thing you see from an individual sport with a good team is how much they keep the individual in a, just a natural happy state by being taking the pressure off them solely being the only one a part of it to allowing them to enjoy it and win it with someone else is so much more exciting. And that's like when you relate that to everyday life, it's like, you know, doing something great is awesome. Achieving your goal is awesome. Having someone around there to support you as you do that is just the best feeling ever. Because at one point, I guess, you know, Scott, you've talked about this before. It's like, you achieving a promotion or you winning a gold medal is like, is great for you for like, you know, a certain period of time, but being able to actually, you know, relish in it with people around you who have supported you the whole time. It just, you can't beat that experience. I can't, I couldn't agree more. I, I think, 
And I think generally, generally, we are, we are all wired that way. Mm. Um, but it does take something different to be that elite athlete. I know you've been around a lot of elite athletes. I have too. They, they, they have to have, I'm going to use words that aren't going to feel good, but they have to have some selfish, self-centered drive that's different mm -hmm. yeah. or they don't get there. Yeah. And so that's what I think we, the team around them, you, me, people around them, just kind of round them out and smooth those edges a little bit, um, help them um, to be the best versions of themselves. I mean, all aspects. Yeah, 100%. And it absolutely relates to not just athletes, but as you attest to in your book all the time, everyday legends. So, mate, one of the, um, one of the beast exercises I use now because of you is assume positive intent. In fact, I get pulled up on it all the time by my lovely better half. So thanks. I appreciate <laughs> it. Appreciate I get it from it. my daughters, my wife. <laughs> no, but, but it's aspirational and it's okay. But the core principle of assuming positive intent, it's like you're just giving them the benefit of doubt and cleaning a slate. And, and with that, when we do that at a really high level, our relationships are better. And you know what? And when, we're, when we feel like crap, when we're having a bad day, when we're feeling insecure, when we're, we're not being the best version of ourselves, when we're struggling, when we're not taking care of ourselves, we're on edge a little bit. And so, you know, and how we react is oftentimes a little snip back or we don't, you know, we, we, we hit them, hit them where it counts. And it doesn't make us feel better, but we don't have that kind of control. Instead, if you can take a breath, clear your head, and not worry about – listen, if you get an, a text or, from, or I get a text from Lisa that says, hey, uh, home late tonight, and my first reaction is I cannot believe this. I've got a lot of work to do. She's got, I got the kids are here. What is she expecting me? How am I exposed to – okay, I'm not assuming positive intent. I'm just not. <laughs> My boss sends me a text, uh, hey, Scott, can I see you at noon? And I think, oh, crap, what did I do? Uh, um, am I going to get fired? Uh, is somebody... I'm not assuming positive intent. Mm. If, you're, if your friend um, come, I mean, I have my house with, with the girls. It's like, you know, hey, can I borrow your shirt? And, uh, the, you know, the sister goes nuts. And, and I was like, can you assume positive intent? Maybe she's struggling. Maybe she's not feeling good about the way she looks. Maybe she likes your clothes. Maybe, 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 maybe. Assume positive intent. The world is better when we do it. We're better bosses. We're better partners. We're better parents. We're better members in the community. Um, but it's a discipline. And fortunately, it sounds like both of us have good accountability partners. <laughs> we, we have it actually written in our house. It's on all, we have, believe it or not, chalkboards around our house. So it's written on all the chalkboards and never leaves. And then we have it actually in a slate rock that sits on top of our door. It's the last thing you see before you leave our house. Because when you go out into the world, it's even harder. It's Man, like it's honestly really is. But having so, I think the biggest challenge I face is I'm so kept accountable inside my house. I live inside my house, and then it's like, okay, now I've got to. I'm not free. I can't treat them as freedom. Uh, but I'll let you know. You've got a very astute, you know, um, you know, individual in this household making sure that I continue to keep API. So, just a quick, a quick little summation, guys. So, assume positive intent is a great way to perceive a situation that you know may initially seem to you as a frustrating moment and as scott talks about in his book it's the idea behind well just before you 
have an outlasting emotional outburst, just think, assume a positive intent. Maybe that person who bumped you was on their way to uh, see their baby being born or, you know, like you just don't know. But sometimes it's more easier to, it's easier to assume negativity as opposed to being uh, positive about it. But when you start to think, oh, assume positive intent, it can be a much better outcome than what you initially perceived. So, uh, mate, that, that is a, that is a massive one. Um, I'm, I'm like, first and foremost, everyone, you do have to go and buy, and I've said this in the intro already, like the biggest thing, one of the biggest books of last year for me was, uh, was be where your feet are. And I know it continues to be a groundbreaker for everybody. If you're in a leadership role, if you're not in a leadership role, if you're looking to give someone a book who is in this aspirational sphere, which generally speaking is everyone, you definitely want this book, but I'm going to shift gears, Scotty, and just talk about you specifically, mate, like. You've done some really remarkable things. You've, I think you, in my opinion, are someone who is successful. You take away the success of the professionalism of the, the professional side of what you do. I think you have, without actually going into the day-to-day of you and the way you'll, uh, you live with your family, I think you have this beautiful balance between family and professionalism. To me, success is that. Someone who can have a happy life, balanced, between their professional side of what they do, but also come home and be with their family. Now, we're not perfect. You talk about all this time. You talk about this all the time. No one's perfect, including yourself. But I think you as an individual are re-representing that. But growing up, I'm curious as to know at what point did you click that you realized that your family, as you talk about before, is your WMI? Because, and probably going back on what we said earlier, is like for you, you have garnered success. You've been a part of some of the biggest well-known organizations on this planet. Where did you know the balance and how did you know to balance it, if that makes sense? Maybe. I Look, I, I consider myself such a work in progress, so I, I, I appreciate all the nice and, and words. I think that when you – I go through – I've always gone through life kind of searching and learning and curious. Um, and I think when you go through life like that, um, you can, you can better reflect back on the things you do well and, you know, the things that you're not doing so well. And, and I, I tend to gravitate my, my thinking and learning on where I'm struggling. And so I don't spend a lot of time. I've spent, I spent quite a bit my last four years at HBSC trying to think about how do I just to make sure that it's an environment where other people are getting celebrated because the way my brain works is I always go to the, to the area where I'm struggle, where I'm a struggle. And that area seems to move for me, but, but in terms of, and and success is so relative. You know, I, I I read this great book called the psychology of money and it's a, it's a book, it's probably the best book ever written about money. And, and it actually has this thing like, don't move the, don't move the, what does it say? Don't move the, don't move the line effectively. Like, Set a line as to what you want to achieve and, and hit it. And I, I don't have a line. I keep moving the line. So there's no, like the notion of success is kind of almost like funny to me because it's just like, it, it just has that analogy of a mountain. And I just see the, the whole mountain range and it's like a bunch of stuff like you do. I want to climb them all. Like I want to see different things. I want to learn different things. I'm okay tripping and falling. I'm okay failing. I'm okay with that because, because that's where all the learning takes place. So I will tell you, like with my wife, I I know why we were married. She, you know, we both had come from 
the same cloth in terms of our values are aligned. And we, we come from very different worlds and very different families and, you know, different just about everything other than the fact that that the family is at the center for her and family is at the center for me. Um, and we have a common vision for how we want to live together. And so for that, it's been good. But I will tell you, like I had a job for wow, almost eight years where I was traveling four or five days a week. Yeah. And so, I mean, I got to tell you, like I was not winning father of the year awards. Now, <laughs> yeah. am I closest, close to my kids? Oh yeah. They're, they're, we're as thick as thieves. I mean, I, you know, I, they, they love me and trust me and know me and I love them, trust them and know them. And I wouldn't trade my relationship with Lisa with, for, for any other relationship that anybody else has in the world. And I'm sure there are wonderful ones out there. So I am, I am always, always have been psychologically invested I've always been intentionally invested. I've always, you know, but, but, you know, part of, of being a dad and part of being a husband is being there. And, um, and sometimes, unfortunately in life, you know, I wasn't. And so, so those are the times I think about not as much, you know, but, but yes, is it, is it on my mind? Of, of course it is. Like, are my calls home and my FaceTimes and technology makes it so much better and easier especially with teenagers, they, they only text, they can be in the next room and text you. Um, <laughs> but I do, I feel like, you know, I feel like it's, it's on my WMI list. So I don't know when it started um, or if it never, it just never went away. Um, but I can tell you that um, I, one of my, my youngest daughter, who's probably my most cynical and smartest, uh, she said to me the other day, she said, dad, everything doesn't have to be a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally laughed in her face and I said, I know, hon. I said that I just trying to share some things. I'm seeing some things where you're struggling and I'm trying, I want to help you. I want to help you realize how special you are. And I, she said, I know, but it just doesn't always have to be a lesson. I said, fair enough. Good feedback. Um, but I, I will tell you, like, I think we we've done a good job of like having a, 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 a like a common language, like APIs one, two WMI, they know, um, they know root for each other. We talk about that quite a bit. Yeah. So we have a common language in the house that allows them to express themselves. Um, you know, their their mother is, she's she's very much into rules. And, you know, my family was not very much into rules. We were into freedom and consequences. And so balancing that is fascinating. You know, when do you step in? When do you step out? When do you let your kid fall? Like how hard would that is that? Just like at work. You know, you have a young superstar. Do you let her fall? Or do you always save her? When is she ever going to learn a lesson? I don't, I don't know. You know, and that's, that's the stuff that to me, that's like the stuff between the lines that if you could see me, I'm like rubbing my fingers together. Like that stuff, that's the fun part. That's the fun part of being a leader. That's the fun part, you know, of, of being a dad. Um, and I, I, and I, I think, you know, I try to be the same person leading at work and, you know, leading at home and leading at church and leading in the community and leading with friends. Like I, I hope I'm the same. You know, that's that's where I hope I show up and how I show up. Well, you say before, mate, you've talked about trust in the process. I think you're <laughs> I think you're doing just that. And it's pretty it's pretty inspiring, man. It really, really is. For someone like uh I know a lot of people listening of either following sport degrees. I did a sport management degree initially and you know, you're you're living a lot of what um we we aspire to be. And doing it in what is established as a very mature and wise way. And you may, 
you may think, oh, yeah, but I'm not perfect and I'm still learning and I'm not the best. But I think because the way that you lead, that all like that, and it's not like surf, it's not superficial. It's like you're doing it in a way that is aspirational, it is making a difference. So, um, mate, I just want to appreciate you for your time. Thank you so much for this. And I'm stoked that uh, we can you, you can't share what you got coming up, but you can share a very diplomatic sport response that you've got some exciting things happening now that Garden Leave is coming to an end. I believe. Is that right? That is, I'm looking for purpose and scale. <laughs> and, I'm looking to do and I know you're going to mock me for that, but it's true. Um, I do, I do have my stock answer and stock speech, but I, I will tell you like when you get through, through life like this, at this like breakneck speed, you just figure out that, you know, the who is definitely more important than the what mm-hmm. and, and the how actually matters. Um, and I think that's, but I think we're all aspiring to is like working with extraordinary people, doing it at scale, having an impact and, and the impact, like you don't have to be a world leader to have impact. You really don't, you know? And so, you know, you can have impact as a coordinator. You can have impact as a manager or director in a, in a, in a group. The group can be a thousand people or 40,000 people or four people. And the reality is, is like we have this opportunity to create the greatest place in the work to work in the world. You do. We all do. And, um, and I think when we take that responsibility with take it to heart um, and take it seriously and surround yourself with fun people, like extraordinary people and have some fun, um, the results come. I had such a really cool guy response to what you initially said. And then you had this beautiful response then. I just don't want to devalue and take the shine off. So I'll, uh, I'll drop that from where we turn the recording off for a second. But mate, I just, as I said, um, you're incredible. You're awesome. Thanks for being, uh, you know, an inspiration, a leader and a person who's inspired many people around who are close to me um, just to continue to be where their feet are. So Scott O'Neill, mate, thank you so much for being part of the Epitaph podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. You're incredible.